0: Great to have you here this morning. You're joining us uh, for week four of a series we've called Bulletproof. And really, in many respects, the metaphor is, uh, is very appropriate because the metaphor of what we've been doing is we've been looking at things that God has given us access to that we can actually use to protect ourselves against anything that the devil might throw at us. That we are in a fight, that God has already won the victory, but we have an enemy who's actually trying to convince us that he's not defeated and convince us that we should live our lives as defeated. And um, so there's a lot of fight metaphors being thrown around the last three weeks. There'll be a few more today and uh, possibly even some more next week. Full disclosure though, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I went to an all boys high school where pretty much every day after school, somebody had organised a fight against somebody else behind the gym or on the far side of the oval where the teachers couldn't find them. And uh, I was never in one of those fights. I don't think I ever went and watched one of those fights. Just, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Having said that though, there are certain things that will cause me to fight remember about three seasons ago, I was competing in a triathlon, the Coogee Beach Triathlon. And uh, the final portion of, the, of that race is a 10 kilometre run. And the run was done, it was three very boring out and back loops along the concrete uh, footpath in Coogee. And um, so I think I was on the second of those laps, heading out to the little turnaround witch's hat. And uh, this guy, guy who was actually leading the race uh, came past me. Now, you know, it's just a, a concrete footpath. So I'm running on the left. And the idea being that you, you did your turnaround and then you'd come back running on the same left. No worries. It wasn't a big race, hardly anybody kind of, you know, c- conflicted with, with one another. So I'm running and this guy comes past me. Now, there's nobody in front of us either going the same way we're going or coming in the opposite direction. So he came past me. But rather than just kind of keep going, in his line and then eventually kind of merge to the left. No, for some reason, this guy came past me and actually took a 45 degree sharp turn in front of me and actually nudged me on the way past for no reason. No, there was no traffic requirement for him to pull this move. So I went from lover to fighter in that instance, and I gave him a nice shove, and he went sprawling face first onto the concrete. This, this, was, the guy, this was the guy leading the race, sprawling onto the concrete. I, I shared with him some adult words uh, in that moment. And uh, anyway, I just carried on running, A bit more adrenaline going through my system, helped me run a bit quicker. Ne- needless to say, moments later, Same guy comes past me and pulls the same move. Well, mate, you pull the same move. I'm pulling the same move. So I shoved him again and he hit the tarmac again. He came past a third time and he stuck to his line. I'm not saying I'm proud of that. I'm just, just, it is what it is. You'll get me fighting if you mess with people I love. I will stand between you and them and you'll have to get through me to get to them. That stuff's worth fighting for. And life actually does require us to fight sometimes in situations and in seasons. And you guys know this. Some of you are single parents and you know, and I know some of your stories. Every day is a fight. I was here talking with one of our single moms a few weeks ago and, and she was just sharing with me that literally in this season of her life, she's living paycheck to paycheck. She's not lazy, she's working her tail off, she's working multiple jobs, she's taking every opportunity she can get within the current constraints of, of being a single mom. And, but the season is that she was get, you know, just about running out of money when it was time for the next paycheck. And, and, and she shared this with me because she's fighting She's fighting, she's not playing victim. She wasn't coming up to me to whinge. In fact, she was coming up to brag that she's able to make it paycheck to paycheck when circumstances suggest that sometimes she wasn't gonna get there. I love that. I love hearing stories of people who are unemployed and, they've, and they're fighting to find a new job. And in the current job market, some of you know this, that there's more candidates than there are positions vacant. So you gotta fight. One of the guys in my swim squad was a, was a project manager in a FIFO uh, scenario, and so you can imagine, you know, getting some good money and good opportunities. And th- then came the downsizing several years ago, and so he had to get a new job just to, you know, he's a dad, two daughters, um, and so he, he got a job as a postie, a little moped postie, to the point where he actually got. Um, RSI in his wrist from the whole accelerate from one letterbox to the next kind of thing because he'd never done it before. But, but he didn't quit because he was fighting. And now he's gotten back into the FIFO thing, but he, he did it because that's what that season of his life required of him. You know, In two weeks time, we're gonna be celebrating dads here. We're calling it Dad Fiesta 2017. It's Mexican theme. We're gonna have a DIY DIY taco bar. We're going to have. There will be assembly required, and I will not help you. You have to BYO dad. There will be lots of dad jokes. I will be telling none of them, nor will I probably be laughing at any of them either. Um, but we're celebrating because even you know that role as being a dad, particularly by the way, in a culture where and I've said this publicly many, many times before, dads actually get picked on a lot. They do culturally. That if you're a strong clear thinking, committed, determined father, there are people that will try and pull you down to their level and help you become Mr. Average. And so we're gonna be celebrating dads. Dads, you're fighting for your family and we love that. And we're gonna celebrate you in a couple of weeks. Now, I wanna continue unpacking this training that Paul's giving us in this thing we've called Bulletproof. Paul was a heavyweight, of the early church and he would write letters to churches that he'd launched. And one of those letters was to a place, in a church in a place called Ephesus. Now you can open our newly refreshed Elevate app and you tap the Bible tile and it'll take you to this letter or a part of this letter that Paul wrote. It's, it's in what's now called chapter six. And we've been just unpacking the things that Paul wrote about. Paul started in this chapter six by by warning or alerting the the people, the church in Ephesus that we are in fact in a battle. And when when you tell people that, when you tell people who are followers of Jesus, hey, do you know that you're actually in a battle? You know what? I haven't had anybody say to me, I don't really think so, Mark. I've only ever heard people go, "Uh, yeah, I get it. I started following Jesus and it felt like game on. Well, that's because it was because we have an enemy, he's called the devil and he spends his time trying to take you out. And you don't have to be intimidated and, and, and we've been unpacking some of the protection that God's given us. You don't have to be intimidated by the devil's schemes but but, but but by no means should you be ignorant of the devil's schemes either because you be ignorant, chances are you'll let your guard down and that's where you'll be vulnerable. But thankfully, God didn't leave us defenseless against the devil's schemes and He gave us what Paul called the armour of God. Now, Paul used this metaphor, very much uh, quoting from a Roman soldier of the day, at the time, 2,000 years ago, the Roman Empire was at the peak of its time. And so the people that Paul would, was writing to, and this church in Ephesus is a port city, it's a very important city, would have had Roman soldiers everywhere. And so when he talked to them about the armour of God, this is what he would have been talking about. Now, had it been today, Paul was writing about this this equipment, this, this stuff that God's given us access to, it, it would look more like, like this graphic. But you understand, so we're putting this... Uh, image up so we can just get a little bit of an insight into into what that meant and what those various things would do. And we started talking about the belt of truth, the belt of truth, God's Word spoken against the devil's lies keeps us stable, keeps everything together. The breastplate of righteousness, it protects our heart. When you started to follow Jesus, your heart got connected with God's heart and the devil's trying to drive a wedge between your heart and God's heart to convince you that he didn't love you anymore, that, that, that you're not in the relationship, that you're not right, with him but but by Jesus dying on the cross, we are right with God, and we keep that breastplate of being right with God on. We talked last week about the feet of peace that we can actually I love the line from the song we just put up we can walk through hell with a smile that's not circumstances that determines our peace, and nor should circumstances be able to rob us of our peace. We have our peace in every situation, past, present, and future because first and foremost, we have a peace with God when we start following Jesus. Then we talked about the shield of faith. This shield of faith is an iron structure covered in leather. They would soak the leather in water so that when the enemy would fire uh, uh, arrows that were lit, with, was dipped in oil and lit, would fire them at, at the Roman soldiers, they would hit the shield and just be extinguished. That, that you literally didn't even have to do anything, just lift the flipping thing up. And it acted as an automatic fire retardant. Brilliant, but, we, but the, they would also do that together. And we talked about that. So today I wanna pick up for the last two pieces of equipment. And we need to understand that the devil can't defeat you if he can't disarm you. And so that's why we're, we're spending five weeks unpacking this, making sure that we know what we've got access to, making sure we access it, because you can just have it lying back in the barracks and don't do any good, and putting it on and knowing how to use it and use it effectively. So Paul talked about two more pieces of equipment that God's given us. He said, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of these Pieces of equipment is defensive. And the other, the sword is offensive. In fact, of the six pieces that Paul wrote about in the armor of God, five of them were defensive. And I kind of think of it as a reminder that we don't actually need to defeat the devil. He's already defeated. So the majority of the, of the equipment that God's given us is not to go out and try and kill the devil. He's already, God's already taken care of that but we can stand protected and stand firm and stand with confidence and stability because the devil is defeated. So this helmet of salvation Paul talks about, let me, I'm a a bit of a student of Roman history. If you're not, let me catch you up. The, The way the Roman empire expanded from obviously starting in Rome to eventually conquering what was then pretty much the entire known world is that the Roman soldiers would go into the next territory, the next frontier, the next bit of land, and they would fight against whoever it was there. That might've been a tribe, a village, it might've been a whole kind of region, and they wouldn't kill everyone. They would just kill enough people to get the enemy to the point where the enemy would surrender. And when that enemy would surrender, they weren't put in prison. <laughs> Instead, if they surrendered, they were made to be Roman citizens. So, so this happened to people who uh, were in what we called England now, France now, parts of Northern Africa now, that, that the Roman soldiers would come in and they would conquer you. They would get to a place where you'd say, all right, we get it. You guys are pretty good at this better than us, if we keep trying to fight you, we're probably gonna get annihilated. So here's the deal, we surrender. And the Romans would actually turn them from British, French, Northern African, turn them into Roman citizens, give them a brand new identity, give them a brand new governance, give them a brand new start. They are no longer French, but now Roman. They're no longer British, but now Roman. They're no longer Norman, but now Roman. They're no longer Northern African, they're now Roman. This is exactly how salvation works. Salvation works by surrender, that you and I when we made a decision to follow Jesus, we surrendered our life to Him and He might give us a brand new citizenship. He gave us a brand new identity. And, and anyone could have put on a breastplate because the guys they fought against them had their own version of some iron manufactured, this and some uh, sorts of shield and some sort of shoes and, and some sort of uh, belt. But, but Roman soldiers were issued with a particular type of helmet, that just by putting that on, it was very easy to identify that they were Roman soldiers. And when they wore that helmet, everyone knew that they were Roman soldiers. It it allowed them to have a confidence moving around the Roman Empire from that day forward when they had surrendered, become Roman citizens and some of them in turn Roman soldiers, and that's exactly how God designed it for you and for me when we made a decision to follow Jesus, that we were given a new citizenship. We didn't just get a software upgrade. We didn't just become a better version of our old selves. God makes it very clear that we became a new creation. We were given a new identity, a new citizenship. We were formerly enemies of God, and now our hearts are connected and made right with His. And we put the helmet on of salvation, confident that we'd be made right with God. Now, now here's the tricky thing. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you've been made right with God, but, but you know, and I know, that we still screw up. And in fact, we still screw up in some of the ways that we screwed up before we started following Jesus. And I've occasionally, not not often, but I've occasionally had people express their concerns to me when they've screwed up or or, or repeatedly screwed up, that, that that, 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 that what they're doing separates them from God. But it doesn't work that way. We don't lose the helmet. It doesn't come off because of what we did. Because here's the thing, we didn't earn it by what we did. We earned it despite what we did. In fact, God saw the dumb stuff we were doing and sent Jesus anyway. We didn't deserve it and God sent Jesus anyway. And we surrendered to Him and we got given the helmet of salvation. And He didn't take it off just because we start doing some dumb stuff. He loves us unconditionally. But here's what I say to people who who are struggling with this thing. It's one of the most important uh, clarifiers that I've ever come across and, and maybe one of the most important clarifiers some of you are ever gonna hear. So listen carefully. This is what I say to people who think that their sin and what they've done wrong has separated them from God's love. I say this, because I'm real wise. I say this. You're confusing God's unconditional love and God's unconditional approval. Let me say that again. If you think... When you keep screwing up that you're now separated from God's love, you're not because God loves you unconditionally. But that doesn't mean He likes what you're doing. It doesn't mean He approves of what you're doing because He's got something better for you. So don't confuse God's unconditional love, which you'll never lose, with God's unconditional approval because there's some stuff that you do that He don't like. <laughs> but it doesn't cause Him to stop loving you. You will never lose this helmet of salvation. And I gotta tell you, this salvation thing is pretty flippin' awesome. I mean, it's awesome, right? Like, thank you, Captain Obvious, but, but, but like, it's like really awesome. It's like next level awesome. It, it, it's so awesome that even this week, I had a greater revelation of just how awesome it is, this thing of salvation of being made right with God. Do you know that salvation, which by the way, salvation is like a churchy word, Bible word, churchy word. It means means saved or delivered. And um, one of the reasons it's so awesome is that we've actually been saved in the past. When we sorry, saved from our past, when we make a decision to surrender to Jesus, he actually forgives us for the things we 've done in the past that had separated us from God because what should have happened is god 's holy right, and we weren 't and and he didn 't like some of the stuff we were doing and 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 we should have got punished for that we should have got a big cosmic smack on the bum for that. In fact, in fact God says that we should, we, we should have actually died for that, for what we were doing wrong. It, it deserved eternal separation from God, right? But because of what Jesus offers us, salvation, deliverance, we're actually set free, listen to this, we are set free from the penalty of sin. He paid the price. He went to the cross. He shed His blood. We should have, but He loved us so much, He did it in our place. And so salvation means we're saved from the penalty of sin in the past. How awesome is that? But but here's, yeah, oh yeah, I know. But listen, don't clap yet, because I'm just getting started. That was like the intro. Because not only are we, because when we say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you, in that moment, we are saved, right? But the outworking of our salvation continues. We're saved from the penalty of sin in the past. Salvation also works in the present. In the present, we're saved from the power of sin. When you sell your house and move to another house, you don't keep driving back up the driveway and letting yourself in, at least I flip and hope not, to the old house. You don't have to, you're in a new house, you've got a new address, you're in something hopefully better, it's different. Go there, go there, go there. Oh, but I just can't stop driving back to the same old place. No, you can, you, you can. Salvation allows us to not just be saved from the penalty of sin, it allows us in the present to be saved from the power of sin. But, 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 but here's what it takes. Whilst our surrender was a one-time decision somewhere in our past when we said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you and salvation was given to us in that moment as a gift, we must continue to surrender every day. Every day. And not just every day, (laughs) like you know, before your feet hit the street, surrender and then get on with the day. No, every moment of every day, in every situation of every day. And here's what happens. You'll still face some of the same temptations because the devil knows you're kryptonite. He'll come at you where you're most vulnerable and that's gonna look different to where he'll come at me because I'm vulnerable in different other ways. But as we continue to surrender every day in every way, that kryptonite will progressively loosen its grip, and we'll be progressively saved from the power of sin in the present. That's pretty good, isn't it, huh? Wait, 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 wait! I'm not finished yet. Yeah, I said this is like really awesome. This is like super, super awesome. Oh yeah! All right. <laughs> you know what? When I first went to Bible college. Uh, I, uh, I did a night class just kind of like test it out to see if that's what I, if I wanted to go to Bible college full time. I did a night course and it was on the book of Revelation. Now, look, I don't know if you've got that far in your Bible, but it's the last book, it's right at the end. It's flipping terrifying. I mean, terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. I did this course on the book of Revelation. Based on me sitting through one night a week for 10 weeks in this course on the book of Revelation, I decided that Bible college was not for me. And it took God another 18 months to convince me to walk back in those doors. And I'm like, well, I've already got the revelation thing out the way, so how bad can it get? It's terrifying, but it's not all terrifying. Because let me, let, me, let me spoil it, if you haven't read, let me, let me put a few spoilers out there. In the book of Revelation, God gave a guy named John a vision of heaven. In his vision of heaven, said that there will be no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no more evil, no more hatred, no more racism, no more injustice, and no more suffering. That's the place I wanna live. That's an address I wanna not just visit, but move into. And God says that this world is actually not our home, that we're actually aliens in this world. We're just passing through. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. And that's gonna last some of us 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, whatever, but we're just passing through. This is like the drive-through lane on the way to heaven if we surrender our life to Jesus. And if we surrender our life to Jesus, not only are we saved from the penalty of sin in our past, And not only are we saved from the power of sin in our present, we are saved from the presence of sin in our future. You You may clap now. (laughs) Because I gotta tell you, that's pretty frippin' awesome. (laughs) But then Paul talked about this one Peace in the armor of God that was to be used to go on the offense. The sword of the spirit. <clears throat> and if you know anything about swords and <clears throat> well, I do if you know anything about swords, if you're going to do a sword, do a big one. Do one that's going to do some damage. Uh, because here's the thing, this vision of heaven where we will be saved from the presence of sin, Jesus told us to pray, called the Lord's Prayer, that we will usher in heaven on earth, that you and I have been deployed We won't bring heaven completely to earth because the devil's still here, trying to steal, kill, and destroy, but we can bring some of the reality of heaven to earth. And we're called to do that. We're called to do that by using a sword. But it's not just any sword. This isn't like your garden gnome Gillette Mac 3, Schlick, whatever. It's 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 the sword of the spirit. It's supernatural. It's it's better than you've seen in any Marvel comic or Netflix Marvel series. It's God's word. In fact, it's God's word is described in God's word as sharper than a double-edged sword. This is not a double-edged sword or else I would not be resting it on my back this way for fear of slicing my head off, (laughs) which some people might think is an improvement. Um, But the haters are gonna hate, hate, hate. (sighs) And when I think of the sword of the Spirit and using it offensively, I think of two ways. One is to use it to take some of what the devil's stolen from you and take it back. Stolen destiny, stolen promises, stolen peace, stolen dreams, stolen relationships, stolen joy, stolen finances, stolen opportunities, because he's done that. He's been in there in your life, scheming and stealing and lying and killing and destroying. And you have a weapon that can cause you to charge at him and take some of that back. I'm not talking about you might remarry your ex Spouse. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying that 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 the devil may have destroyed your relational peace and relational security, but he doesn't have to destroy your future and your peace and your prosperity because your relationship is is, is at peace and joy isn't dependent on our just our human connections. There's something that God's promised us because of our relationship with Him that nothing, no circumstance, can come against. Yeah. It could be financial, I'll tell you, it could be financial. It was for us, Louie and I, uh, it was about nine years ago, soon to be 10 and, and, and I'm loving that it's a distant memory, but I lost my job, we, we had to sell our house, we lost a colossal amount of money, uh, $750,000. Uh, that might not be colossal for some of you if you're rich, you're rich, but at the time, $750,000 was a lot of money for us and we lost that in two years, so you know, It was a lot. And uh, we didn't have where to live. Uh, We lived out of a suitcase for the next 18 months. I didn't find a job for the next 12 months. Louis worked several part-time jobs and uh, we lost a lot of money. It's not all about money, but you know, you and I know it's nice to have some. I prefer life with some than without some. And uh, so here's what we did. We took up our sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we went chasing the devil down to get some of our money back. And here's what we did. We didn't say, oh, devil, give us our money back. Come on, give us our money back. He's not not scared of just like idle threats. But let me tell you what he's scared of. He's scared of the Word of God because the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. So you know that there is several times in God's Word, where God promises to re- restore to people finances that have been taken from them. So I gathered them all up, all of those promises. In one, God promises to restore double. I'm like, all right, I'll take that. But I stop reading there because to someone else, he promised to restore seven times. I'm like, I'll take seven over double. I mean, double's a start, but, but let's, 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 let's aim high here. Let's go for seven. Well, then somewhere else, he promises a hundredfold. A hundredfold. You get your flipping calculators out, a hundred times $750,000. Man, I'm getting into Donald Trump territory right there. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing. We started shaking our sword, which is the Word of God to the devil and say, buddy, God's gonna restore what you've stolen. And I don't know if it's gonna be double, or seven, or a hundred. I'll let God decide. But He's gonna restore it, and you, my friend, are gonna give it back. Now, you all wanna see my bank balance today? (laughs) We haven't probably got that much back per se, but I tell you what, we never lost our peace, given despite the fact that we were living out of a suitcase in my wife's Italian grandmother's guest bedroom. (laughs) And yeah, God's been restoring to us what the devil stole. But here's the thing, it might not be money for you, but it's something. It might not even be you. It might be someone you know. It might be one of your kids. they were following Jesus and they stopped following Jesus and you gotta get your sword out and you gotta bring them back. Devil, you're not taking their future. You're not taking their relationship with God. You're not taking their salvation. You're not taking their destiny. I declare that they're gonna serve you. They're gonna serve you, God, for the rest of their days. And I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I'm, I'm shaking my freaking sword, which is the Word of God. Take some stuff back. And here's the other thing that I think swords do. I love this sword, man. I tell you, I tell you. Man, that box of Wheaties was a good buy with the voucher for this thing buried in the bottom. <laughs> no wonder it wasn't kids under 12 allowed to buy that box of Wheaties. I don't need Wheaties. Um, <laughs> <I> <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me finish. We can, we can take stuff back because the devil wants hell on earth and God wants heaven on earth. So we can take some stuff back, but here's the other thing we can do with the Word of God. We can extend God's territory. We can actually push the devil back. He's defeated, but he's coming out, pretending he's not, and he's trying to expand his footprint and take over people's lives and take over people's destinies and take over people's futures and take over people's relationships and take over people's health and take over people's bank accounts and take over people's businesses and take over... people's peace, we can actually extend God's kingdom by declaring and using God's word. So tomorrow, when you're waltzing in to your place of employment, how about you break out your sword before you jump in your cubicle and you say, today, today, God, use me to be salt and light in this workplace. Expand my influence that I can be an ambassador for you, that that some of my colleagues will come to know you in my lifetime. I declare over my workplace today that I am salt and light. That's wielding the sword. That's God's word right there. When you walk into your business, some of you are business owners you have the opportunity to expand your territory. Expand your, oh, but the economy's down. That's not God's word, that's not the sword. Here's the sword. God, today in my business, I pray that I am blessed And I declare that I am highly favoured. I declare that today I will grow in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and with man. I declare that I have your favour in every deal. That it's not the economy that that determines the success of my business, but your favour upon my life and upon my business in Jesus' name. Wield the sword, see what happens. There's probably enough sword wielding for today. Let me ask one question. Reese. you're the only one with a license to drive this, so let me hand that to you. You know, yeah, good. Just as we finish, one question. I've been saying this all the way through today. There is an opportunity for us to surrender our life to Jesus. And I know most of you have already done that because I know your story. But if you haven't, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, then right here, right now, guess what? You're in the right place because we're gonna give you that opportunity to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And all I want you to do, for those of you that have not yet made that decision and said yes, and surrendered your life to Jesus, in a moment, I just want you to put your hand up and you're saying that to him. You know, like, like in Cowboys and Indians, when they'd surrender, it's kinda like that. It's like, okay, Jesus, I surrender, just put a hand up. And he'll see your hand and you can put it down and I'm just gonna pray for you standing up here. So those of you that have never made a decision, never said yes to following Jesus, just slip your hand up real quick and I'll see your hand, you can put it down. And I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna finish.